Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. And at our church, we talk a lot about wanting to be a part of restoring faith in Jesus and the church. So we want you to know, wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey, whether you're deconstructing or reconstructing, whether you're disentangling, doubting, rebuilding, no matter where you are, we want you to know that you are not alone. And we want to be a support for you as you journey down this road of faith. So if you have questions or you need support, we would love to chat with you. You can reach out to us through our website at restoreaustin.org. And we hope you enjoy this week's message. Sin. I don't think any other biblical word has been weaponized as frequently or as painfully as sin. It's been used in ways that have been deeply wounding to me. And if you've spent much time in church or faith circles, my guess is you've experienced something similar. So I want to start this morning by telling you about one of the most painful times. Uh, but I want to give a quick trigger warning before I do. The story I'm about to tell has some kind of pretty intense spiritual trauma stuff in it. Um, so yeah, I'll just go in. One year in middle school, I was at a Christian summer camp, and uh, the speaker for the week was obsessed with talking about sin. The talks he gave that week were less like sermons and more like laundry lists of sinful things he was pretty sure we were all doing. Lust, gossip, cussing, listening to secular music, watching secular movies, disrespecting our parents, disrespecting our pastors, not reading our Bibles every morning, not praying every night, skipping youth group, playing too many video games, drinking alcohol, even thinking about drinking alcohol and on and on. We were urged to confess our sins to him and to other camp leaders each night. They made it clear no sin was too small or too scandalous to come and admit. They wanted to hear everything and every detail. And we were told that if we didn't confess each and every one of them, this stain of sin would still be upon us and we would be in danger of spending eternity being tormented in hell. And as the week wore on, I guess not enough people confessed because on the last night of the camp, this speaker was giving it everything he had. He yelled, he paced around the stage, he even called out individual kids by name. Johnny, I see you playing basketball every day during free time, you got time to do that but not to confess your sins? By the end, he was sweating, red in the face. And during the time when he would usually have asked us to come up and confess our list of sins, he said, tonight, we're doing something different. Tonight, I want to give you something to really help you understand just how serious your sin is. And then he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a nail. And he said, do you know what happened to Jesus at the end of his life? Do you know how he died? It's totally silent. He died on the cross and they nailed him to it. And do you know what killed him? Still silent. Your sin and your sin and your sin and your sin. And every time you sin, you nail Jesus to the cross. 
Every time you look lustfully at someone, every time you talk back to your parents, every time you listen to secular movies or watch movies with, or listen to secular music or watch movies with cuss words in them, you drive another nail into Jesus's hands. And if you don't confess it tonight, you are going to spend the rest of your life nailing Jesus to the cross. He actually gave away nails at the end that we could keep in our pockets and that we could press into our palms when we were tempted to sin. Needless to say, basically everyone at the camp confessed that night, <laughs> myself included. At the time, none of us understood just how crazy or incorrect and damaging this guy's theology really was. We were all terrified, right? This pastor we were supposed to trust, who we thought spoke for God, told us this is how sin works. And so we believed him. And this is just one of dozens of stories I have about sin being weaponized. And if you have some spiritual or church background, I bet you have some of those stories too. Maybe for you, it was being told that God was always watching you, just waiting for you to sin, and then burning with anger every time you did, that it was all that he could do to keep from just striking you down with a lightning bolt every time. Maybe you were taught that God was reading your mind, and he knew all your sinful thoughts, and you couldn't even control when these things would pop into your head, but every time that they did, you thought, God knew that. And you became overwhelmed with guilt because of its sin. Or maybe you were told that some intrinsic characteristic about you or some constant struggle made you someone who was, quote, living in sin. And because you couldn't do anything to change it, even though God knows you tried so hard, you were destined to live in sin for the rest of your life. In fact, so many of us have so many of these stories, I know because I have talked to so many of you, that a lot of us have just stopped using the word sin altogether. It's too painful. And I get it. There was an extended period of time in my life where I completely stopped saying sin too, where I even rebuked people who would say it. But here's my question. Is leaving the concept of sin behind really the best thing for us? After all, sin is a word used frequently throughout Scripture, 415 times about, to be exact. So should we really just throw it away? Or can we take this word back in a way that actually helps us experience more intimacy with God, healthier relationships with each other, and the fullness of life Jesus desires for us all. I think we can, and I think that we should. So for the next few weeks, we are going to talk about how we can do that. Before we do, before we dive in, let me take a second and talk about why this matters so much. You see, back in August, we kicked off this thing that we're calling a year of healing and wholeness. 
Each year we actually focus all of our sermon series throughout the fall and spring on a specific topic. And this one is all based on Jesus' words in John 10.10 where he says he came to bring humanity, life and life to the full. But even though that's Christ's desire for all of us, many of us are not experiencing that, especially after the last few years. So that's why we're spending this fall and spring diving deeply into how we can experience healing, wholeness, and fullness of life, both as individuals and as a church family. And we're kind of structuring this year by spending the first half this fall looking at what gets in the way of us experiencing those things. We started off with this series about who God is because one of the things that gets in the way of us experiencing healing and wholeness and fullness of life is misunderstandings about who God is, what God is like, how we are supposed to relate to God. Then we just finished up last week a series on identity, a series on not who God is, but who we are, who God says we are, and characteristics that we have as humans, as Christians, And then today we start this series focusing focusing on addressing harmful beliefs and behaviors concerning sin. This is a four-part series. I don't really usually do this, but I want to lay out what these next four weeks are going to look like. So today is week one, what is sin? Then there's week two, what is the result of sin? Fracturing is kind of the word that we're using. We're talking about this series is called fractured. So fractured relationships, uh, fractured things in our world. Week three, how do we fight against sin personally within us, between us, with our loved ones, things like that. And then week four, how do we fight against sin communally? Because sin doesn't just exist in us or between us. It exists in systems and structures in our world. So how do we fight against those things as well? So that's what the next four weeks are going to look like. How does that sound? Okay. All right. I'm nervous too. I think the clearest way to understand sin is by looking at what God's perfect world was like before sin broke in and what God's perfect world will be like after sin has been fully eradicated. So these two depictions are actually found in the first and last chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, and then Revelation 21 and 22. So despite what you may have heard, the story at the beginning of Genesis, it's not really about an enchanted tree, a talking serpent, forbidden fruit. It's about God's intent for the world and everything in it. And scripture uses a term called shalom to explain that. Raise your hand up if you heard the term shalom. If not, I want to explain it for a second. So shalom is often translated peace. It's a Hebrew word, often translated peace, but it's so much more than the absence of conflict, which is kind of how we use the term peace today. The shalom that inhabits God's very good world in the Garden of Eden is best defined as abundant goodness in all things and between all things. Abundant goodness in God, in humanity, in creation, as well as abundant goodness in between God and humanity and creation. In her wonderful book called The Very Good Gospel, Lisa Sharon Harper reflects on the creation story, and she says this, God created the world in a web of relationships that overflowed with forceful goodness. These relationships are far-reaching. Between humanity and God, between humanity and self, between genders, between humanity and the rest of creation, within families, between ethnic groups or races, and between nations, these relationships were very good in the beginning, and one word characterized them all, shalom. God's perfect world is defined by and filled to the brim with shalom. 
And similar to Genesis 1 and 2 in the Garden of Eden, Revelation 21 and 22 shows us what God's kingdom in its fullness will look like after Jesus returns, completes his mission of restoration, and makes all things new. Scripture calls this the new heaven and new earth. And it says it's a place where every tribe, tongue, and nation are present, and we are all completely and perfectly equal. Where the old order of subjugating some people so that others can thrive is done. Everyone thrives in the new heaven and new earth. No one works for anyone else. No one owes anyone anything. No racism, sexism, classism, oppression of any kind exist. It's a place where death and all the things that it brings, sadness and bitterness, mourning and pain, are done away with. It's a place where there is no more war, no more weapons, no more hostility. It's a place where shalom permeates everything once again. So both the Garden of Eden and the new heaven and new earth represent God's design for what the world is supposed to be like. So what happened? Four chapters in the Bible describe God's desire for the world, while the other 1,185 describe the reality in which we live every single day. A world more defined by brokenness than by shalom. One marred by pain and oppression, disease and death. So what happened in between Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22? Well, to put it succinctly, Scripture says that sin happened. You see, if God's desire for us and this world is shalom, then sin can be easily defined as anything that prevents shalom. I'm going to say that again. If God's desire for us is abundant goodness in all things and between all things, if God's desire for us is shalom, then sin is anything that gets in the way. Does that make sense? These can be things that we do to ourselves things that we do to other people, things that other people do to us, or things caused by sinful systems and structures that exist in our world. Genesis 3 depicts this through the story of Adam and Eve, choosing to turn their backs on God's way and to go their own way. Now, we'll talk more about that next week, but anytime humans turn our back on God's way, which is the way of mutual flourishing, shalom breaks. I love the way that theologian Neil Plantinga puts it in his famous little book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. He says, shalom is God's design for creation and redemption, and sin is blamable vandalism of these great realities. The fall is the vandalism of shalom. So sin vandalizes shalom. Remember that, because we're going to come back to it in just a second. And who gets hurt when shalom gets broken. Us. Humanity. See, one of the most common ways that sin has been weaponized is through the phrase, God hates sin. Because it's used in a way that makes it seem like God hates us when we sin or because of our sin. But my friends, I'm here to tell you that could not be further from the truth. God doesn't hate sin because God is some legalist holding on, holding every human to an impossible moral standard or because God flies off the handle in anger every time we do something wrong. No, God hates sin because sin hurts us. God hates sin because sin prevents you from experiencing shalom. God hates to see shalom get broken because then we get caught up in that brokenness. We see this all the time, right? 
but we saw it in a devastating way last night. Woke up to the news this morning that five people were killed and 18 injured in a mass shooting at an LGBTQ plus nightclub in Colorado Springs last night. In fact, today is actually Trans Day of Remembrance, and 2021 was the deadliest year on record for trans and non-binary people. So can I be candid just for a second? God hates this. He hates this. God hates homophobia and transphobia and, and sexism and racism and classism and every other form of oppression. God hates violence. God hates sin because sin hurts us. God hates sin because sin hurts God's kids. I love the way Jonathan Merritt says it. He said, God hates sin, not because God is an angry rule maker, but because God loves us without constraint. And God wants each of us to live the abundant life. God wants peace for us. God wants shalom for us. God wants us to flourish. He wants us to recognize the image of God in others and support their flourishing. Any force that resists the abundant life is called sin, and this is a force to which God stands opposed. Whether it's chosen by us or inflicted upon us by an outside force, sin breaks shalom and it prevents flourishing. And since God wants each of us to experience shalom and flourishing, God hates anything that gets in the way of that. Since God wants us to experience life and life to the full, God stands opposed to anything that prevents us from experiencing life and life to the full. We have to dispel this harmful notion that God is some loose cannon ready to explode on humanity every time we step out of line. That is not who God is. God is a loving parent who deeply loves us kids. If you have kids in your life that you love, you you know what I'm talking about. When my oldest son was one, right when we were starting this church, we dealt with a series of seizures that he had. Really, really scary. Multiple hospitalizations. Um, I've told the story up here before. It was, it was awful. It was awful. There's nothing like watching something hurt a child that you love. Nothing like watching something hurt a vulnerable person that you love. This is how God feels when he watches us get hurt by sin. Whether we choose it for ourselves or whether it's inflicted upon us, that doesn't change it. He's not like upset with sin when somebody else does it to us, but upset with us when we choose to do it to ourselves. Because sin is a disease. It ravages health and wholeness. Sin vandalizes shalom. Have you ever seen something get vandalized? Yeah, not not if you've seen that, yeah, okay. Okay. Like homes that once provided shelter get lost to a fire. Church buildings that formerly held congregations get get reduced to rubble. Art that inspired beauty and creativity get defaced and damaged. Vandalism is terrible, right? We, We look at vandalism and something in us hurts because we know this is not the way that this was supposed to be. This is not how the creator designed this thing. It's been vandalized. But have you ever seen something that's been vandalized get restored? Oh, it's the best. 
One of my favorites is on Lamar, just north of the river. Here's, I brought a picture of it with me. Y'all know this area? So over the years, there's a ton of different vandalism that happened and stuff on this bridge and up both sides. And um, during COVID, the city of Austin and some other people got a bunch of artists together and they redid this whole area. Just like the artists who restored these vandalized walls, God didn't just sit back and watch us keep getting hurt by sin. Compelled by unrelenting love for us, God did something about it. God put on flesh and came to rescue us and restore our brokenness in the person of Jesus. And Jesus spent his entire life confronting sin fixing the brokenness caused by it, restoring the vandalized parts of our world and our lives, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, feeding the hungry, setting slaves free, pursuing justice for the oppressed, making the marginalized feel seen and loved, and forgiving sins everywhere he went. And then... Jesus allows sin and the evil behind it to do its worst to him on the cross. To expose sin as the destructive force that it is and to provide a way for all of humanity to break free from it as he rose from the grave and conquered it through the resurrection. His best friends, John and Peter, put it like this in letters to the early church, 1 Peter 2. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Through the cross and resurrection, Jesus not only defeated sin, he made a way for us to experience forgiveness and restoration from the brokenness that sin caused. That Lamar Street Bridge is such a beautiful picture of exactly what Jesus does with our vandalized shalom, with the vandalized shalom that exists in our world if we will let him, if we will be the, the catalyst through which he does that restoration work. Jesus covers our sin, removes it as far as the east is from the west, brings healing to what is hurting and wholeness to what is broken. Jesus takes our sin and offers us fullness of life in return. The most beautiful restoration of vandalism that has ever existed. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece, a work of restored art and beauty. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. We are a work of art. We are God's masterpiece displaying the beauty and redemption of Jesus as he continues to restore the brokenness caused by sin in our lives and in our world. Sin vandalizes shalom, but Jesus restores it. Sin vandalizes shalom, but Jesus restores it because Jesus has brought the fullness of God's love and shalom to us. And that loving shalom is 
powerful. Jamie Arbenrici says it like this, shalom is what love looks like in the flesh. The embodiment of love in the context of a broken creation, shalom is a hint at what was, what should be, and what one day will be again. Where sin disintegrates and isolates, shalom brings together and restores. Where fear and shame throw up walls and put on masks, shalom breaks down barriers and frees us from the pretense of our false selves. This is what God has made available to us and to all through Jesus. Even when we turn our backs on God, even when our sin breaks shalom, God makes a way for us to experience restoration. So I'm about to pray, and the band's going to come back up for one more song. But before I do, I want to make you an offer. If sin has been weaponized against you, if you have been made to feel like God is just constantly upset with you, or if you've never even really experienced the restoration of shalom that Jesus came to bring that we've been talking about, I would love to talk with you anytime, any place. We don't really do invitations here at Restore. The band isn't going to come up and play some super emotional song while I implore you to walk down the aisle. I was at a camp one time where they did a 10-second countdown. You have 10 more seconds to not burn in hell. We're not going to do that. I'm certainly not going to tell you to come up here and confess all your sins to me in paltry detail like the Christian summer camp preacher. But here's the thing. If you need some restoration, good Lord, I think we all need some restoration. If you need some restoration, Jesus wants to help you with that. If you need some healing and some wholeness and some fullness of life, Jesus wants to help you with that. I know because he's done it for me. And he's done it for so many people that I know and love. So if you want to just talk about what it looks like to receive that forgiveness and restoration from Jesus, I would love to connect. I would love to talk about it. You can find me around here afterwards, or you can email me directly, zach at restoreaustin.org. My phone number is 512-748-0892. That's live stream. That's probably not a great idea, but uh, <laughs> I'm serious about this. Like, this has changed everything for me. Being a part of a community where we not only experience restoration, but where God works through us to bring restoration to individuals and neighborhoods and communities all over this city and around the world, there is nothing like it. And it's the best. So if you want to talk, I'm here. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the work that you have done and that you continue to do. I thank you that the cross and the resurrection meant that the power of sin has been defeated, but that your work didn't end, that you continue to bring restoration to individuals, neighborhoods, and people all over our world. I pray that if any of us are here and we are feeling that need, God, to experience some of that restoration, that you would 
help us to do that. You would give us the courage that we need to have a conversation. God, and that you would remind us that does not matter the vandalism that has been imposed on us, that we've imposed on ourselves, that you are the great restorer, that we are your beautiful masterpieces. Pray that we live from that identity. In Jesus' name, amen.